0: Hear the word of God from Esther chapter 8 and 9, and uh, you can follow along on the screen on my left or in your Bible. So this is Esther chapter 8 verses 15 through 17. Then Mordecai left the king's presence wearing the royal robe of blue and white, the great crown of gold, and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple. And the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. Esther chapter 9, 20 through 32. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far, throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes, calling on them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness, and by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned into gladness, and their mourning into joy. And so the Jews accepted Mordecai's proposal and adopted this annual custom, Haman son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted to crush and destroy them on the date determined by casting lots. The lots were called Purim. But when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire, and Haman and his sons were impaled on a sharpened pole. That is why this celebration is called Purim, because it is the ancient word for casting lots. So because of Mordecai's letter, and because of what they had experienced, the Jews throughout the realm agreed to inaugurate this tradition and and to pass it on to their descendants and to all who became Jews. They declared they would never fail to celebrate these two prescribed days at the appointed time each year. These days would be remembered and kept from generation to generation and celebrated by every family throughout the provinces and the cities of the empire. This festival of Purim would never cease to be celebrated among the Jews nor would the memory of what happened ever die out among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai, the Jew, wrote another letter, putting the queen's full authority behind Mordecai's letter to establish the Festival of Purim. Letters wishing peace and security were sent to the Jews throughout the 127 provinces of the Empire of Xerxes. These letters established the Festival of Purim, an annual celebration of these days at the appointed time, decreed by both Mordecai, the Jew, and Queen Esther the people decided to observe this festival just as they had decided for themselves and their descendants to establish the times of fasting and mourning. So the command of Esther confirmed the practices of Purim and it was all written down in the records. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So good morning again, everyone. We're getting towards the end of our series in the book of Esther. And my prayer has been that you would be comforted to know and believe that God is active and moving behind the scenes. That's what the theme I want you to get over and over again in this book of Esther, And you can be comforted, you can take hope, you can be confident that even when you don't see God, even when you don't feel God, God is there, He is active, and He is moving behind the scenes. His providence is over all of us, and in simpler terms, if we can remember this, this, this song that we used to sing, or some of you guys might have sung as a little kid, where our God is, or wait, hold on, that's a different song. That was a song that Nathan got me singing earlier, never mind. It's, it's talking about, he's got the whole world in his hands. Guys, I know that song's so cheesy, but honestly, for me, even now, it gives me comfort. Our God is so big and he holds the whole world in his hands. May that bring you peace. May that still your anxiety. May it give you confidence that your God is so big and he holds the whole world in his hands. Now we've seen some other really incredible themes and messages in this book. Last week Pastor Eric preached on how God protects and saves his people. And it's not just a quick one-time thing. He works throughout history even to do so. This morning, I want to start off with a simple question. What comes before part B? Part A. Get it, get it, part A? Yeah, one of my favorite ways to introduce a party. You're always welcome to that, you're welcome. Guys, today we're gonna talk about partying, we're gonna talk about celebrating, we're gonna talk about rejoicing. It's one of those fun sermons and we did it intentionally because we know we got kids in here and some of the elementary school kids in here and we were going to talk about like God's sovereignty, human responsibility and all that and we're like, no, we should switch it up. (laughs) So we're talking about celebrating, we're talking about partying and depending on what tradition you grew up in or are from, this might feel comfortable or uncomfortable to you. There are those who grew up in the church who grew up talking about celebrating and victory and blessing and prosperity often during church. There are other churches and other people who talk, often talked about in church, suffering, patience, mourning during church. And as most of you know, I love tension. I'm a big fan of tension. I think that is where we're supposed to be, living in the tension. You ask me a question about, Lauren, should we do this or should we do that? Or Lauren, should we do this or that? I'm like, yes, live in the tension. And people hate that answer, but it's the truth. The book of Esther does this so well. The tension of celebrating and mourning. Feasting and fasting is a huge element of this book. Now, we'll give you a little background on this book so far, but it says this. Banquets are a central theme in the story of Esther. These banquets have special importance in the structure of the book, and may the main events in the story take place at a banquet. So I want you guys to look at these two slides here. It says, uh, first slide. Number one, Xerxes provided for a, a, for a 180-day feast for his nobles. right, there's the first banquet. Second banquet, he gave a seven-day feast for all the people on his land. Third banquet, Vashti had a banquet for the women in the palace. Number four, Xerxes gave a banquet when Esther was given her royal crown. Five, Esther had two banquets for Xerxes and for Haman. Haman, Haman, I'll go with Haman just because I like to say ham. (laughs) Six, The Jewish people feasted when Mordecai came to power. And then seven, the two feast days of Purim. Activities at these feasts are central to the plot of the story, and each one helps kind of develop the characters. This joyful idea of feasting and banqueting is contrasted also, though, in the book with the theme of lamentation and fasting. Mordecai and the people in Susa and all the Jews throughout the land wailed, fasted, and lamented when they first heard about Haman's murderous decree. Later, Esther, all her maidens and the Jewish people fasted for three days before Esther attempted to enter the king's presence. The point I want us to understand this morning that there needs to be a beautiful tension between our call to fast and to feast, to celebrate and to mourn. And I want you to note that it is good to celebrate and to party. We have reason to rejoice. There is breath in our lungs. We are living in a new day. We are amongst the people of God, worshiping our living savior. We have reasons to rejoice. Can't get an amen to that. But now I also know that we have reasons to mourn. There are those who are sick today. There are those who are struggling with cancer. There are those who are missing loved ones who are not here with us. We live in a broken, broken, messed up world. So yeah, we have absolute reason to mourn. But that does not take away from or stop our reasons for celebrating. See, some people think those are mutually exclusive of each other. Some people think if I'm mourning, if I'm hurting, if I'm in this place of lamenting, that I could not be in a place of rejoicing, celebrating. And that's not true. They're not separate, They they don't contradict each other. They can both live in beautiful tension. There's a missionary named William who lives and works in Liberia during the epicenter of the Ebola crisis, and he was asked if celebrations and joy were at all on his screen, on his radar right now amongst the current hardship, and this was his answer. In these dark moments, here's the quote up there, in these dark moments, remembering God and his joy gives us strength. During this time, so many people are finding their way to him. Every church is packed. The worship celebrations have been magnificent. Even when it feels impossible, he can give us a joy that passes understanding because it's anchored in faith. If you've ever had the opportunity to worship with people from developing nations or anyone who's overcome serious obstacles such as maybe addictions, you know it's like nothing kind of you experience in the mainstream American churches right? Whether it was a worship service I attended at the New York Rescue Mission or the worship service I attended in Uganda, the ce- celebration was similar in those places but kind of different from mainstream American churches. It was like Super Bowl Sunday, the World Series, the, the World Cup. It was like the best rock concert or pop concert you've ever been to all combined and all rolled up. And that was every Sunday. Because those believers understood that their dependence upon God, they they worshipped it with complete abandon in the midst of need and hardship. It wasn't exclusive. It wasn't in their mourning, in their difficulties. They couldn't celebrate. No, they celebrated even more so because they knew their need to celebrate. We see in the reading for today that the people of God had to celebrate. They instituted a new festival called Purim, which, by the way, I just got to throw this out there. I love this. There ain't no party like it because the Israelite party don't stop. The festival of freedom went on for a full two days. I just love that. I had to throw that out there. The Feast of Tabernacles, is another festival of the Israelite people, goes on for seven days. I go to a party nowadays. It's like, party six to nine o'clock. And I'm like, I'll get you at like 6.15, and then I'll leave at eight o'clock because I'm tired. So my, I party differently from the old Israelite parties. But the Israelite parties, were like, no, 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 we go all day. Not only do we go all day, we go two days. Not only do we go two days, we go seven days of partying. I love that. It's a true party. These parties are for real. Our parties are lame. (laughs) In Esther chapter 9, verse 22, Mordecai told the people, he told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrow was turned to gladness and their mourning into joy. I love that by the way, those are, those are real parties, right? Parties where like, like we give each other food, those are good parties. Like here, I gift you with food, yes, good party. But not only that, they give presents to the poor during their celebrating. I think that should, that, that should be instituted, I think. From now on, when we do parties, we're like, hey, every time there's a party that there's presents involved, let's also give presents to the poor. Let's, church, do you like that idea? I like that idea, let's do that too during our parties. But what an incredible party this is. I mean, this is what a celebration is supposed to be. It's supposed to remember. It's supposed to celebrate. It's supposed to lift up the community. Our celebration lifts up the community. So why should we celebrate? I'm gonna go through a bunch of reasons why we should celebrate, okay? So number one, we celebrate to remember. We celebrate to remember. The impulse to celebrate as a means to remember God's provision has old school ancient roots. After sparing his chosen people from imminent destruction, God specifically instructed them to commemorate his faithfulness through an annual celebration, Exodus 12. Whether it's Passover, celebrating them from deliverance from slavery, or Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating their time in the wilderness and, taking, and being taken out of the wilderness. The Jewish people have created incredible festive traditions shaped around God's command to remember. I mean, isn't that a good way to remember? By throwing a party? You know, if we just say, hey kids, remember that um, something happened. Or remember this day because this is it. And they're like, I am gonna remember that. But when you say, hey, it's your birthday, they remember that because there's a party for them. Parties are the best way to remember. But cause despite his continued faithfulness, our memories are pretty stinking bad. Aren't they? We just have bad memories. We so easily get distracted and swallowed up by both the incidental and enormous challenges of life. We forget so many times that God has dropped manna or he's parted the waters. We forget about all those times because when the bank account dips below minimum, that mechanics bill is much more than what we thought it would be. Or the pathology report comes back positive. It's just more natural to shake our fists and get angry at God than it is to organize a party, isn't it? which is why celebration is so crucial to our spiritual life. The very act of celebrating anchors us. The very act of celebrating and remembering anchors us in a deeper story, one that is bigger, one that is beyond our current hardship and our pain. God's narrative goes back to the garden when he formed us from dust, called us into a loving relationship with him and with each other. It continued when Jesus became flesh and took upon all of our sin and brokenness that we can have fellowship with him and God. And it will culminate, yes, in a relationship or in a celebration, the wedding feast, the feast of Christ with his bride, the church. I don't think it's an accident or just coincidental that weddings and other celebratory meals figure prominently in God's great story. Whether it's a wedding or a worship service, celebrations are all about looking back with gratitude and looking forward with hope. The intentionality and faith-filled anticipation that are embedded in such gatherings kind of tether us, bring us connected to God, and cuts through our fear, our doubt, and our cynicism. We celebrate to connect to the bigger story. We celebrate to remind ourselves of God's goodness. We celebrate because when we celebrate, we say, God, we're part of your redemptive history, and we know one day, one day, it will end in full celebration. When all that is wrong will be made right, and there will be no more tears. We celebrate because we look forward to that in our celebration. Guys, I want you to hear celebration, the beautiful thing about any celebration is that it's the ability to look back and to look forward in your celebration. That's what birthdays are about, right? Birthdays are all about like, okay, I look back at all the birthdays I've had in the past and look forward to the next one I'm gonna celebrate again. When we celebrate the work of God, And the move of God in our lives, that's what we do is we look back at the bigger story that God's had us connected to and see how that bigger story is so much bigger than our current plans, our current issues and our hardships. And then we look forward to the finished story, our final resting place, final peace with him. We celebrate to remember. Two, we celebrate because it completes our joy. We celebrate because it completes our joy. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's kind of long, so bear with me here, but it's a really good quote. He says this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In committing us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Ah, that's such a good quote, isn't it? What that literally is saying is that there's something innate inside of us. The way God made us is that enjoying something, praising something, is just a point of consummation of our enjoyment of something. So when I drink that delicious ice-cold Coke Zero and I enjoy it, I like to tell people about it you know, or when I have that delicious bite of food, and I'm, you know me, I'm the one, some of you guys are elite Yelpers in this place, you guys love telling people about good food, I love it, there's something about praising, when, I, when my son does something, and it's ridiculous, he's cute, I take a picture of it, I want to show everybody a picture of my son, I'll show everybody, look at Josiah and Hudson, look how cute they are, and they're like, Lawrence, I've seen that picture 50 times, I don't care, look again, <laughs> right, there's something about it. There's something about when you enjoy something and you praise it and you d- glory in it, you en- it completes the enjoyment. Guys, celebration completes our joy. As you're enjoying God, as you're enjoying Christ, enjoying the life he's given you, as you're blessed by joy, guys, let me tell you that when you worship it and when you celebrate him in this, it completes your enjoyment of him. Psalm four says, All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Hebrews 13, 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Psalm 104, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Guys, these are commands by God unto us, but they're not just commands because God's like, hmm, I feel bad about myself, let's have people praise me. No, these are commands that fully for us to fully know enjoyment to maximize our enjoyment of our life here. To be in the relationship and to express the joy of that relationship. And I'll say this again, I'm gonna embarrass my wife because she's right there, but she can't help it. Is that there's something powerful. I can sit there and I can be like, I'm so glad I'm married. And I can sit there and be like, my wife is awesome. But if I don't ever say it, there's something lacking in it. Even in my own heart. When I express it, though, it completes it. When I get to tell her that I love her and tell her how incredible she is, that expression, even for myself, completes my enjoyment in it. Guys, we're called to celebrate. It completes your joy. Why are you not celebrating? It is okay. It is okay if other people are mourning for you to still celebrate. It's okay. It's okay if you're mourning to choose to celebrate. It's okay. It doesn't diminish the hurt, and it does not diminish the loss. It completes the enjoyment. Celebrate. Number three, we celebrate to show the world a taste of the coming celebration. In other words, we celebrate to show the world a taste of the coming kingdom, right? One of the reasons why I say this before, there's a twofold purpose of the us as a local church body. Our twofold purpose: number one is we exist as a local church body to be the coming attraction, to be the preview of the kingdom of heaven. You know, when you guys go to a preview and you watch a preview of a movie, I love trailers. One of my favorite things in the world. Right? I love watching a trailer, and during the trailer, I'm like, that looks hilarious, or that actually looks amazing, or that special effects look incredible. I'm like, I gotta watch that movie, and I'm a sucker for it. I watch terrible movies because the trailer looks so awesome right? But that's what we're supposed to be, not, something that, not for a terrible movie, but for the ultimate movie. We're supposed to be the trailer, the way we love, the way we forgive, the way we live in grace, the way we worship in diversity, the way we come into community. Guys, we do all that and say, people can look at us and say, that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like? Oh, man, I need to watch that movie. I need to be part of that. Wow, they show grace and they forgive one another. I, I, I need to be part of that. They, they live in close-knit community and they fight, but even after they fight, they forgive. Oh man, I need to be a part of that. They help each other out. They're all so different, yet they're willing to sacrifice to know each other better. Oh, that's what the kingdom of God is about? Okay, I need to be a part of that. Guys, do you see, we're called to be the coming attraction. And so by the way we celebrate, guys, can I just tell you, if we walk around defeated and complaining and whining all the time, what person would ever want to be a Christian? Oh, my life is terrible. I mean, honestly, let's just be real here, right? But if we walk around with the victory, the confidence in who Jesus said we are, even in the midst of suffering and difficulties, we can still celebrate that people can be like, what do you have? What do you have? Because I need to know. I'm in desperate need. See, we live in a dog-eat-dog world, but you guys are living like it's a doggy dog world. You guys like that? Yeah, nice. I need to be a part of that. How? Will you show me? And this is when you can be like, yep, I'll show you. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the good news. The good news is that our human condition that we want to be known We wanna be loved and we crave purpose, can be answered and and fulfilled in the person of Jesus because through Jesus you can be known with all your sin, all your dirtiness, all your issues, all your flaws and you can still be radically loved because he knows you, he accepts you and he's died upon the cross for you. So you can be fully known, you can be fully loved and then he calls you into this relationship, into this global eternal mission. Gives you significance. I mean, that's what we get to tell people by the way we celebrate. Amen? Revelation 19, 69 says this, that I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen. Uh, then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. That is what we look forward to. Number four, celebrating together encourages one another. When we gather to party, when we celebrate on Sunday mornings, we have the opportunity to encourage, to lift up, and help one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact, as you are doing. Guys, when you see your fellow believer able to praise and celebrate after a loss, it encourages you, doesn't it? I know it does me. When I know of a fellow believer, when I know of a brother, when I know of a sister who's experienced loss that I think would cripple me, but I I see them praising Jesus and celebrating, do you understand that what that does for me? It encourages me. It lifts me up and says, yes, even in the hardest of circumstances, Christ is still sufficient. It was sufficient for them, he'll be sufficient for me. Do you see that? So guys, for those of you who are going through loss and who are struggling, we need you to celebrate. We need you to celebrate because it encourages me. It encourages each other. When you see your fellow believer who has cancer praising Jesus, it lifts me up. It pushes me. It challenges me. And it challenges each other. Guys, when we see celebration, it's contagious. This excitement is contagious. When you go to a football game, I mean, not many of you guys are gonna go to an SEC football game. I threw SEC out there intentionally, by the way. You ACC fans don't know what it's about. But when you go to an SEC football game, you're not gonna often just sit there with your hands on your lap and just be like, uh. no, because the music is contagious and the are rocking, it's, and everybody's up and down in their seats and they're screaming, and yelling, you're like, oh, I gotta get into it. I don't even know what's going on, I'm gonna get into this. I'll, I don't know anything about soccer, true story. Don't know soccer. Never played soccer. Soccer was not an issue, a big deal in my life. But I went to Germany backpacking one day and the World Cup was going on and people were going crazy. And so I was like, I don't know anything about soccer. I don't know what's going on, but man, it was fun. I was into it. Because everybody else was. They were like, "Woo!" And I'm like, what just happened? It wasn't even a goal, but they're cheering. I don't understand. Why are they cheering? Just gonna kicked the ball somewhere. But I'm just saying... <laughs> I got into it because everybody around me was going crazy. They were celebrating. It was actually in Germany when they won the match and people were climbing on like light stains. I'm like, oh, this is nuts. But I loved it. I was like, yeah, I'm the biggest Germany World Cup fan in the world now. You know, it it was awesome. But guys, let me tell you, we need to see each other celebrate. We need it. Because man, this world is full enough of dark times. Isn't it? It encourages me to see you celebrate. It encourages each other. And finally, this is gonna sound weird, but I'll say it again. We celebrate because we can. I'll say that again. We celebrate because we can. Here's what I mean by that. If your end is not secure, if you don't know the end results, it's hard to celebrate, isn't it? I mean, if there wasn't a reason for the pain and suffering that you were going through, if there wasn't a tomorrow, or if you didn't know what was gonna happen at the end of tomorrow, the fear, the anxiety would keep you up at night. It'd be hard to celebrate. But with the gospel, but because of the gospel, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, our end is secure and we know we have a glorious ending. It is this win-win that I always talk about here at Waypoint Church. It is this win-win that we have. As recipients of the gospel, we live an incredible win-win life. Hear me when I say this. Um, like, I love this. It's so beautiful. I just I want you to think about this. Here's the situation, right? If you die, which is the end, which is the worst thing possibly people think of, if you die... In the gospel, you have eternal life, eternal happiness, eternal pleasure, eternal relationship, eternal fellowship with Jesus. That sounds pretty good. And if you are called to live, then you're called to live because God has strengthened you and called you for a purpose to live. So you get to do the purpose of God. That sounds like a win-win to me, doesn't it? This is why Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, I have a win-win here, right? guys, if we choose to believe, truly choose to believe that this is our reality, this is our future, this is our identity, this is our circumstance, this is our security, that we celebrate because we can celebrate. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? John chapter 14 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? For I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He's literally saying, here's the end for you. Is I have it all prepared for you. It's yours. It's your identity. It's done. It's finished. It's good. How incredible is that? We celebrate because we can, because we have reason to. More than anybody else, other people in this world, as followers of Jesus who believe in the gospel, who live in the gospel, who are recipients of the gospel, we can celebrate. What could the world, ever do to us because when we face suffering when we face pain and when we face struggle it'll hurt and we will mourn and we will cry and we will weep but we will also celebrate because that is nothing compared to eternity and not only is it nothing compared to eternity by faith we choose to believe that God will work even this difficult difficult situation for his glory and our good that's a win-win. People are like, oh, that's well, not fair. I've, been, I've had arguments with philosophical people like, well, that's not fair. I mean, you're arguing like, oh, my argument, suffering is bad and you're arguing that suffering is good for God's glory and all this kind of stuff. That's not fair. You, can't, you just you make that argument up and just make it sound like everything is good. I'm like, it is. I'm sorry. It doesn't sound fair. You're right. But by grace, this is our reality. We have a win-win if you choose to believe. My people, I know it's not easy. I'm not saying it is, but this is why we celebrate, because it's not easy, because we often forget, because anxiety and the concerns of the world are quick to make us forget, but when we choose to celebrate, and when we celebrate hard, when we party like an Israelite party, it encourages us. It reminds us. Try to go back to all of them, hold on. We celebrate because it completes our joy. It shows the world a taste of the coming celebration. It encourages one another, and we celebrate because we can. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our win-win. God, that we, through the work of Jesus, even though we did not deserve it, God, even though we did nothing to earn it, God, we couldn't be holy enough, we couldn't go pray enough, we couldn't give enough, we couldn't do enough. We did nothing to deserve salvation, but by grace, you've just given it freely through the work of your son, Jesus. And so in accepting it, God, we accept identity and relationship with you. God, because of that, we can celebrate. So God, help us to celebrate. Help us to understand that celebration is not... It's not exclusive. It doesn't mean that we can't mourn or can't weep, can't lament, but it goes together and then we're called to it. God, even in our win-win, we're called to celebrate, to encourage one another. So God, we thank you. We thank you so much. And God, if there's anybody in this room, God, that is, you're talking on their hearts, as you're moving in them, God, if anybody in this room that doesn't know you, may you move in their hearts for them to say, I choose today. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know what it's like to live in that win-win, to have cause to celebrate. So will you move in their hearts, will you encourage them to seek out prayer, to go pray with one of our prayer team people today. God, will you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.